When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety. Before we start the show, I want to say thank you to AKG for sending me their Podcaster's Essential Kit. It's got a great Lira mic and some amazing headphones that I use on every show. And if you're thinking about starting your own podcast, this is the perfect way to get into it affordably with a high quality product. Christopher Harold Wells joins us on this episode. Growing up, his house was full of music and sports. I mean, his dad was a linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles. But Christopher's passion was music. He's jammed with some incredible people like Lauryn Hill and Bubba Sparks. He's released an album under the name The Neverlutionaries, and it's a wonderful mix of genres and styles. The album was recorded at world-famous Hyde Studios and was produced by Jameson Durr, who's produced albums by Sammy Hagar, Wyclef Jean, and Joe Satriani. The album features performances by guitarist Kenny Olsen of Bootsy Collins and Sheryl Crow, drummers Chris McGrew and Nick Baglio from Gucci Mane, and guitarist Johnny Axel from the Psychofunkopus. Follow Christopher and the Neverlutionaries on social media. They should be pretty easy to find. Pick up the self-titled album and follow us at Performance ANX. Buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. Give us a review wherever you listen and pick up merch designed by Mark Dancy of Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger fame at performanceanx.threadless.com. And now let's slide right into this discussion with Christopher Harold Wells of the Neverlutionaries on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Okay, hold on for a second. I This is Christopher Harold Wells from the Neverlutionaries, and you're listening to Performance Anxiety with Mark Shea. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time to to come and chat with me, man. Oh man, I, I appreciate you having me and then taking an interest enough to want to to want to chat, man. That's for me. That's that's super awesome. What I like to f- do is uh, what I've you know what I'm sure you've done a, a million times is to find out a little bit about where you've come from to kind of figure out how you got to where you are now with the new album. Yeah. So. I'm sure you've done this, you know, in every interview. So some of these questions may not be new, but I, you know, my listeners may not have heard the same interviews of you that, that I have. Right. So. And Mark, I'm someone where I'm easy, whatever you need. I'm not the guy that's going to be like, I don't know. Oh, good. I've answered that question too many times. (laughs) I look at it as kind of a really cool thing 
when you can create something and someone gives a damn to even want to talk to you about it. Well, that's, yeah, I understand. Believe so, me, I understand that. So I, I, I take it at that level. So I'm, I'm easy, man. Well, you I, know, I, works for you. I appreciate that. So, all right. So first of all, I did, I do try to do as much research as I can on each one of my guests. And so I was listening to a couple of interviews you have done recently. And I do want to say that I hope your, your dad's doing okay. I hope he's recovering well. Oh, he's, he's recovering well. He's back at the house. He's good to go. And good. Chatted with him this morning and, and he, he's, he's fine. So I'm, I'm lucky. And that's, that's behind us. So good. I just got just looking forward to the future. Good. So, and your dad is an, I'm, I mean, I don't think you're ever a former athlete. So I'm going to say he's an athlete and he actually ended up playing with the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a linebacker for the Eagles, right? Yeah, he did his, um, he played his college ball at Purdue. Oh, nice. Uh, he was a boilermaker. And uh, then he went and played with the Eagles, Giants and Falcons. Might have the order kind of, you know, middle linebacker, great guy, uh, musician. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. So he's, so he was an athlete and a musician. How did, was that where you get your musical ability or, or, I mean, tell me a little bit about your, and I hate, uh, and th I just did what I hate. I hate when interviews could talk to me about this or tell me this because that's, then you're just narrating. I want this to be a conversation. So oh, I, I want to know more about your, your family's musical history. Cause I know there is, there's quite a bit there, especially on your dad's side. Right. Actually on both sides, my father actually played saxophone and he was actually chosen um, by W.C. Handy, who's the godfather of the St. Louis Blues. Yeah. Uh, to play in his, um, he would go around and get a few kids that were, you know, good musicians from different schools in the district and kind of pick and choose the players and have them learn a few of his tunes and kind of play them in front of dignitaries, local people, wow. that kind of thing. And my dad was uh, did that back in the day. And then I've uh, then his father, my grandfather, played trumpet back in the day. That's awesome. And then I had a uh, a couple of cousins, um, uh, Bridget Wells Dabney and Brandon Wells. They were rapping back in the day. Oh wow! I, I mean, like early 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 like she even had a my cousin rest her soul she even had a, a record label she was a pharmacist wow. by the daytime and then she had a record label at night that's awesome so she was she was a she was a, a phenomenal person and a, and a big influence on me and she actually played bass i remember this one time i was uh visiting uh st louis uh, around the holidays and sitting in my grandfather's living room and you know there was a trumpet in there and I was kind of thumping on the bass and it wasn't the dream thing of all of us jamming, but we were all in the same room yeah, and kind of vibing. And, uh, and even on my mother's side, um, my grandfather, Melvin Hamilton, he played piano and violin. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man. He was an educator. He was, you know, so I, I come from a, a some, some pretty rich stock. So, yeah. You got people doing their thing, you know. You got quite and, the esteemed background. Yeah, and then my 
great-grandfather Alexander on my mother's side, you know, there's, he was a, a person that loved to cook and loved music and that kind of thing. So literally that's what I, I love cooking. Oh yeah. And I love music and it's literally something that in life, when I've gone against the natural grain of who I was supposed to be, it's like, why isn't anything working out and nothing would work out. And then when I do the music, all these little nifty magical things start happening and getting the stars start aligning. And luckily enough, I've been smart enough to see when that's happening and to kind of go and just roll with the tide (laughs) (laughs) and just kind of go with it, you know, and just let become one with the energy per se and let it dictate what it does and get ready for the journey. You know, I think we all have like a little journey that we're supposed to be on. We all have our own national championships to win. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. (laughs) And some to lose, yeah. <laughs> but uh. it's, just one, it's just one of these things where I just feel it's being a musician to me when I was, you know, back in the day, you know, I, I mean, I started playing the guitar to get girls. Oh yeah. Cause I was a goofy kid and I was a nerd in high school and <laughs> I didn't really have much going on for me. And I kind of had that weird nerdy humor where if you're not like, <laughs> My friends were like, that was really funny. But everyone else was like, dude, you're corny. Yeah. <laughs> so I needed something else working for me, something yeah. else with me to help me on my journey. And that was and guitar. So, yeah. Had a, a good friend of mine in high school and he would always go around with this guitar. And I was like, who's this guy walking around with this guitar all the time? And the girls were like, oh, can you play? Can you play? And I was like, damn, I need to get a guitar. Yeah. And I'd messed around with the one my mom, she had like an old classical and like a, a plastic bag in the back of the closet. But yeah. I didn't know it was supposed to be there. Oh, yeah. But I've been <laughs> playing it for years, <laughs> you know, and and then got in a rush and started, got in a, got in a rush in high school and just something about it, the, the intensity of Getty's playing and him singing and playing bass and from that point the basis of my bands were three pieces where I usually oh. sung and played bass. Wow. Okay. You know, and, uh, so it's, and that was such a huge influence and it took me a while to get good because I was trying to play. It's not like I was like trying to play running with the devil. Right. You know, I could have done that all day long, Yeah, but trying to play the song free will and singing and playing at the same time is a little bit tricky. But when I got it, which took me about a year and a half of really digging deep, it had become like a, almost a religion to me or something. It became spiritual and, and I'd kind of dedicated my life to it. And even before then, you know, growing up in Philly, you know, we had to, in uh, the school district I was in at the time, you know, you had to do as an elective at least one performance art play a year. Oh, okay. And we did like Bye Bye Birdie, Oklahoma, West Side Story, the classics. Yes. And I would actually do each one they they played. I mean, they... they oh, they wow. All, so you did everything. Like, yeah, because I actually enjoyed it. And some kids, like, you had to. Yeah. But for me... 
I think I was a natural born ham, you know, <laughs> and luckily for me, my parents were, uh, they noticed that and they nurtured that and they allowed me to, you know, to, to try a whole bunch of different stuff. You know, I feel really, really lucky that, you know, especially with my mother, she's an amazing, amazing person, really spiritual and allowed us to kind of dig into who we were as people and oh that's you know, awesome like go, go to different churches with different friends from different religious backgrounds see different cultures yeah a friend of mine was having a bat mitzvah you know go hang out with them see what that's like yeah a friend of mine's doing this different thing and we were allowed to experience so many different cultures and that I think it was one of the greatest gifts that my folks ever gave me because it kind of, I can pretty much, if someone's open-minded and willing to, you know, you have to be open to receive and actually have a really good conversation. Oh yeah. Yeah. So open, you know, then I'm an easy person to get along with. And of course, every person you meet, you know, it's, it's a nice in theory, but you're, you know, not naturally going to get along with every person. Right. You know, especially those people that we see those things within them that we haven't contended with within ourselves. Ooh. And it's like an interesting mirror. If you notice most, if you think about it, when you seem like a really kind person, but most of the people, if you've ever had a, issue with someone, especially the grading stuff. I went back and I was like, was there a commonality? Was there a common thread that ran through? Mm -hmm. And each of those people that I really was not feeling at all had something in me that I hadn't dealt with yet. Oh, wow. And to go through that thought process, because as men, we have this ego. Oh, for sure and all this other stuff that blocks our spiritual growth. And, you know, I, I never want to be someone stifled with my growth. I mean, even with music, I'm always listening to new sounds and new bands. Oh yeah. And, and I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest, just not a whole lot of new stuff in the past few years has really blown my mind. <laughs> After we're done with this, I'll I'll throw out a couple people that I've had on the show that I th I think were amazing and uh, very different. So I'll I'll tell you a couple people to to look out for. Maybe I can yeah, you know, like share a few send, things. Send, send me over some links or something like that because I'm for always sure. I'm always open. I guess like the last band that really did it for me was the Mars Volta. Oh, that really, yeah, just as far as because there's different kinds of music. There's the kind of stuff that's like music for entertainment, like something you go out and you're hanging out with your buddies and drinking. You want to listen to something simple and you yeah. don't really want to listen to like Tool or Jeff Buckley or Rush, like a, or, or Rush on like a Sunday outing and, you know. <laughs> Yeah. There are times for it. Yeah. So diff different music has different purposes. And so it's it's kind of like some people are meant to be these amazing, amazing virtuoso musicians. And when I first started, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I was into like the whole prog rock thing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the people that really, really like that aren't now I guess there's considered the listening public, you know, it's like a lot of people yeah. want something simple. Yeah. 
it makes sense because life is so complex and crazy now that you need the anti, you need the yin for the yang. You need something to kind of balance it. Well, it's also gone a, a weird route with, with streaming things like Spotify, you know, music is so easily accessible. Now you, you've got it on your phone. You can put it on your computer while you're working. You know, you used to be at least a little bit of an effort to go and put something on, you know, a record, you have to flip the sides cassette. You have to, change the sides even a cd you'd have to change it every once in a while you'd, you'd have to go out and get it put it on you know first mm-hmm. of all buy it and then put it in a machine to play you know you didn't have to sit there and you just put on spotify and let just hit play and it'll just play all kinds of stuff and you're not even really paying attention mm-hmm. so that, that's good that's good and bad oh yeah yeah part part of the favorite you know my thing like being a little kid and listening to a record and like an album and looking at the artwork. Yes. The credits and all that stuff. It was a part of the experience and now it's kind of an afterthought. Yeah, exactly. I have spoken to so many people about that. You know, I I was a photographer in another life and the artwork is really important to me on an, on an album. And I, you know, I don't care if it's vinyl or a CD cover, it's still artwork. But if I download something, I'm not going to sit there and, and stare at my computer at a JPEG on my screen. And while I'm listening, I'm just not going to do it. And I love, I used to love going through the liner notes. It's how I found some of my favorite bands was thinking, was looking at who that band that I was listening to thanked along the way. And, like, oh, these guys liked this band. So let me check these guys out. And mm-hmm. all that's kind of disappearing. Yeah. But I mean, for, for folks that care about it, it's still there. Like, I've always been a fan of looking at producers and seeing the bands that they've produced. Yeah. Because from that, you know that they're not going to really mess with anybody that they're not going to be able to work with. Right. Right. You know, because, you you know, it, it wouldn't be beneficial for their career. So, you know, you're going to get a certain level of quality. Yes. You know? That's a good I mean, point. I mean, e- even with, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky to have one of my, one of my dear friends uh, and producer, Jamison Durr, who produced the record, you know, um, you know, he, he did a record for um, Sammy Hagar in the circle. Yes. That debuted at number one in 2019. That's amazing. You know, that's and, incredible. And I mean, think about it, you know, that's, you know, that's a classic artist, but if you can record something and still make it relevant with someone that was putting out hits in 19, early 1970s, yeah, that says something. <laughs> yeah. Just, and just working with him. Like I remember, and he works with Satriani and. Oh, that's, I love Satch. Yeah. You know, it was. I've got even a, when I did the record, I got to record it in the room where they did surfing with the alien. Oh and man. Instead, and all these records at, at Wally's hideout and Hyde street studio C. That's incredible. And I, I, I got to ask you about that in a minute, but I'll, I'll tell you real quick. I've got one little satch story and I think I've told it once on this podcast, so, but it, it's kind of funny. I was, for, I used to work at a movie theater when I was a teenager and um, <laughs> yeah, in, in New Jersey. And um, one of the people I worked with, was this lady named Sue Riccio and her husband was a guy named John Riccio. John used to be in uh, one of Joe's bands in that down in, uh, what was it? Long Island or Staten Island? One of the islands out there. And, um, 
they they've kept in touch throughout the years and all. So John had this little strat. I think it was a, a Mexican strat that he was trying to get rid of. And so I went, played it, and I bought it. It was like, you know, was a couple hundred bucks. It, it was no huge, incredible guitar, no history behind it or anything like that. So, I, in fact, I still have it. It's, it's upstairs. But he uh, he started talking to Joe about it. And he's like, yeah, you know, I sold this little Strat. I'm kind of regretting it now. I, I really liked how it played and all. He's like, yeah, you know, sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes you you know you re- regret some of those kind of things. He's like I've you know I've had a bunch where I regret doing that too, and so they get they're talking, they hang up, and like a week later, John comes home from work, and there's a crate on his front porch, and he opens it up, and it's an it's it's a guitar from Joe, one of his uh, like a one of his signature edition, I think one of the Chrome guitars, and uh, he said here's a replacement for that Strat. So, so the the guitar that I bought, Joe replaced for for or Joe Satriani replaced for John Riccio because I bought his guitar. So that's about as that's close. As, awesome. That's about as close as I get to Satch. Yeah, and it, it's it's a trip. But um, when I, I remember tracking at one point, and you know, like like I said, Jameson's he's he's one of my boys. He's yeah. one of my one of my bros. But I was sitting there playing, and uh, and I kind of looked up, and he's kind of like. You know, listening close to see what I was doing. And I was like, man, this guy's track Satriani and Sammy Hagar yeah. and Jason Bonham and wow. Michael Anthony and Vic Johnson and all of these people. And I started just getting nervous <laughs> just instantaneously, just like, <gasps> and then in, wow. the, in his proper and classic Jameson, he, just, he was just like, that's oh, all good, man. Relax. And he, kind of saw what was happening, said something, kind of kind of broke it up, and then, okay, let's get back to it. And we knocked it out. That's all. He saw you were getting in your own head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it, it's such an amazing thing just to have great people around and also have to – I also have uh, Kenny Olsen, who uh, played with Kid Rock back in the day. Yeah. Before he went to the dark side. <laughs> uh, I didn't say that. <laughs> I love everyone, but he's uh, just a fantastic, fantastic musician. Yeah. And we, I was, I sat in a couple times. Uh, he and Peter Keys, uh, the keyboardist oh. Oh. from Leonard Skinner, have a, a band called the All Time Low Stars. Yeah, I saw some of that. Yeah. And uh, it, it was fun. It was, it's kind of like the All Star, like, uh, everyone in the band was just a phenomenal musician. Oh, and man. the last show I played with them was not this Halloween, but the last. And we had Bubba Sparks sitting in with us. Alexander King, who's like this. He's he's a cool guy. Yeah. He's like an original guy. Check out his music. Yeah. He's, well. a, he's, he's a really dope rapper. Cool. And I don't go around saying that. I'm like an old school hip hop fan. <laughs> yeah. And the guy just brings a magic to oh, what cool. he does. You know, he's, you know, he has like a gazillion Instagram followers. Oh, and, you know, geez. he's one of those people that he'll get on and like a thousand people are listening to him talk, you oh, know, because wow. he's, he's a real interesting guy, but it was just awesome to play in this, uh, to play in this project to sit in. And, you know, I don't know what the future holds, you know, because some people will, depends on if someone's there 
who's in town and availability. But, you know, uh, if nothing else, it, it, it got Kenny and I pretty close. And uh, he and I, he actually played lead on the song Everybody's Losing Their Minds. Oh, yeah. Which was actually written before the pandemic. I mean, I wouldn't want to intentionally write <laughs> this song like that. I think it would be kind of spiritually irresponsible. So before we get too far into that, I got to ask you a couple questions. I want to find out a little bit more about what the house was like. I mean, so your dad played in the NFL. Were, were you into athletics as a kid at all? Was there any push towards sports? No, there was never a push. My my folks were always like, we're not going to, you have to figure out what your path is. Oh, cool. We just say, prepare yourself as much as you can yeah. and just try to do your best. So I had, you know, I was lucky as an, an African-American in this country having two college-educated parents. So there's a lot of things economically that we didn't have to go through that others had to, but my parents worked hard for that to be possible because they just wanted the best lives for us. And, uh, you know, but I was good at baseball and okay at football. Yeah. That's, that's you know, my, my shirt. I got my uh, Nats shirt on underneath my Alabama jacket. So. Right. <laughs> but, but I was okay at it. N nothing special. Okay. You know, because it was what, it was a weird pressure, though, because everyone was like, hey, your dad played. We won him. It's like um, I have someone else's, have someone else's genes, too, that <laughs> might take my might weaken the speed gene a little bit. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. So. But I can cook you a mean eggs Benedict. <laughs> right. Yeah. But but it was one of these things where I just feel lucky that they kind of just let me try everything out. And like I said, I've more I always gravitated towards the entertainment. Yeah. And then, you know, moving to North Carolina uh in my early teens and then right before then I was in military school and gotten that year before I got into like punk rock and the Ramones. And oh wow. So I come from a soul background. Then had cousins that were like turning me on to Hendrix and Zeppelin and Frampton and all the like the classics and Pink Floyd, like good Pink Floyd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like uh, Piper, the Gates of Dawn, the good stuff. Yeah. And I was always really lucky. My sister, uh, she she always turned me on to she was another big influence, always turning me on to like Prince, Bootsy Collins, Ooh, yeah. Switch you know, nice. the Jacksons. And so I've literally listened to everything and, and like even some country music like Patsy Cline. Oh, I live in Winchester, Virginia, home of Patsy uh, Cline. Uh, 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 how and interesting I would mention that, right? But yeah, she, she just had this amazing honesty and pureness about her voice. It's like, yeah, Stevie Nicks has that. And there's something that not not to be. I hope this doesn't bite me in the ass, but there's something in a certain, like Tori Amos for some for a reason, another reason. She has something in her tone 
that's higher register that men don't produce. Mm-hmm. Not all men can produce these tones. Right. So there's a certain sweet spot that a few of these singers have that it just, it's just like the effect of like a mother rocking a baby to sleep or something. You know who like, does that? Like, it cradles you. For me, it, it, Alison Krauss. Mm-hmm. I love the, her voice is so, it, the clarity of her voice. It's, it's not, it, there's like a purity to it. It's mm-hmm. hard to describe, but yeah, that her voice yeah. does that to me too. Oh yeah. I, I was never really too into Alison Krauss until that, Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack came out. Oh yeah. And I, interestingly enough, I was in New Orleans at Jazz Fest and I had like a little show I was doing or something like that or a magazine. Okay. Uh, was supposed to interview Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. Oh. And that was the summer that Zeppelin was supposed, they'd already done that reunion show when people were saying, Hey, are you guys going to, you know, do a tour? Yep. And so all the people that were talking to them were asking the same questions. So they shut the press down. And so I was Uh, like, dang it. Cause I really wanted to, you know, it's great to talk to people you admire. Yeah. And I was kind of little, little disappointed. And I was like, yeah, someone out drinking in new Orleans. Imagine that. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And about nine o'clock in the morning when I'm finally dragging my way back to the hotel, (laughs) I come past like, I think it was like an Omni and there's like a big tour bus out. And I'm like trying to pretend like I'm just like, I'm cool, but I'm really pretty drunk. (laughs) And I almost run into this guy and I was like, I'm sorry. And I was like, Oh, Robert Plant. Well, looky there. Wow. And so I just, and I was like, that was one time I was kind of gassed meeting someone. Like I was gassed meeting Prince. Oh wow! Or, or seeing him close, not meeting him. Okay. Officially. But I was around. I was in the orb. I was around the. <laughs> I was within the the, the constellation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, his gravitational pull. Yes, which was immense. But yeah, he was a great guy. That's you know, awesome. but it, that's to bring him back around to Alison Krauss. You know, she she's another one that has. That's the thing that's great about music. It's like you have to be open-minded. And then there's a lot of people who's like, oh, I would never listen to country, but there's good music in every genre. Absolutely. I just think with a lot of like modern country and stuff like that, I think it's a bit confusing because you'll see a dude singing like country stuff with the Metallica shirt on and some like blinged out jeans and like a yeah. pair of $5,000 biker boots on. Exactly. And it, it, it's kind of like the, it's not, and not like, you know, you have to be crunchy, you have to wear this, but it's so, you can't tell it's, the line is so blurry now. Yeah, it's kind of lost its identity. And and I blame Garth Brooks specifically for this, but uh, that, that'll get me in trouble. I mean, I, like, I mean, I'm sure he'll be listening, so he, he won't return my phone calls anymore. But <laughs> I feel like he kind of rockified country a little bit and, and maybe maybe he sped it up. I don't know, maybe it was, going, it was inevitable, but I just... I don't know. I don't, I don't like when you can't, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to put into words, but it's, um, I don't like when, when you can't tell if something's a country song or a, a rock song. When you, you don't like when you don't, I'll put it in layman's terms. You don't like it when you don't know what the hell it is you're listening to. Okay. That's yeah. That's a much better way to say it. <laughs> and, 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 and it makes a lot of sense, but, 
then again, the argument with that is artistic expression. That's true. But how many of those people were coming from a pure point of artistic expression, or were they sitting down in the boardroom with their label, looking at, surmising what kind of charts and the tempo of the charts, what's the average tempo of the songs that are on the charts? And you know there are people that are digging that deep. Oh, yeah. And I think when you make decisions like that, you might hit one record and get lucky, but you're not going to build anything because it's coming from a place that's it's coming from the head and not the heart. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Yeah, it, it's it's one thing that, that I've had a big discussion with, with a lot of people is metrics. And I think a lot of country music is based on metrics at this point. You know, what are the lyrics that, that are popular? What are, what are the types of subject? What's the subject matter that, that people are listening to? And, you know, it's to me, it's just if there's certain and there are great country acts out there. I mean, there's still amazing artists out there, but it's not the stuff that you, you hear on the, you know, on the, on the radio most of the time. If, if you've built an entire career, like, all right, and, and this is the guy that has always been my punching bag for this. There's, I don't know if you remember this, this country artist got him Joe Diffie. Half of his stuff to me, it, or all of it, it sounds like it's all throwaway music. It's all stuff that you could just, it's the same song recycled over and over again, just a few different lyrics, maybe a different solo here, but it's all the same. And it's all just stupid lyrics about meeting a girl in a pickup truck and getting drunk. Mm -hmm. But if that's his lane and he has to earn a living, the argument is, see, the thing about it is the beauty is there's something out there for everyone. Yeah. Oh, I know plenty of people who liked it. I mean, I know plenty of people that I used to know a lot of people that like that. (laughs) (laughs) But, but it's, it's, but some people need that entertainment. Some people like, like I was saying earlier, don't want the whole heaviness of it. They want it to be light. They wanted to, and there are different kinds of people. There are people that aren't deep people. There are people that are simple people. They work hard. They want to get off of work. They want to have a couple of beers. They want to shoot a game of pool and they want to, you know, just it's, they don't want anything crazy. They, they don't want, want to f- sit there and They want a decipher. fun song. Right. They don't want to sit there and decipher things and all that. They just want to be entertained. Yeah. And then there are people who look at it more like the art of it, you know. And the beauty is that there's something out there for everyone. Yeah. You know, so, so my thing as an artist is my responsibility. The thing that I can do and the only thing I can control is the quality and the intention of the things that I create. Like, am I coming from, am I looking at the charts and going, oh, what's popular now? What's popular now? You know, think about like this, like Guns N' Roses back in the day. Mm -hmm. They were groundbreaking. Yeah. Earth shattering, groundbreaking. You name it. Yeah. They got to a point where 10 years later or something, he kept writing these, like the Chinese democracy. And they would go back in the studio and record and try to, work with this producer that worked with Limp Biscuit or something. And then a year later after they got that done and worked with this, you know, and if the times are off, forgive me, but yes. the point being after a while, when you're tracing, when you're chasing a trend, by the time you find the trend and do all the work, 
the trend has already shifted to something else. Yeah. So it, it seemed like a stutter was like starting up, starting up, starting up, starting up. Okay, now we're starting up, starting up, starting up. Okay, now, and when you have that process compared to digging deep, but an argument on that on the another side is when someone is a gazillionaire, their pain that they're writing, their point of pain that they're writing, you know, point of pain works in everything from sales to music. Right. Find the pain voice. Oh, it's like, oh, I my girl left me. I'm poor. I'm struggling. You know, my apartment has roaches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but when you have a when you get rich, it's like you're like, oh my God, my accountant is sleeping with my cousin. <laughs> you know, the the songs, the the subject matters get different, and so you have yeah. to go to the same familiar place to be able to relate. Yeah, because unfortunately, some of the audience won't let an artist grow. Yeah. You know, like if you heard Metallica put out a reggae record, just the thought of it's freaking hilarious. Yeah. Because they have their lane. They, they go fast and they can slow it up and go pretty, but it's those two gears. But nobody, yeah. And nobody liked it when they changed gears and did load and reload. That, that was really controversial. Mm-hmm. But as artists, why not put it out there and see if it works? Because yeah. they're in, because they're they could have put that out and it could have been their biggest selling records. Yeah, you know, or they put it out. That's why one thing when I with this record especially after before settling on the twelve songs, I pretty much had about thirty that I'd written. Oh wow! Yeah, and I didn't want to make it just one speed the whole time. I wanted to make it like up and down lows and peaks and valleys and points and then smooth out. Yeah. You know, to make it like the listeners going on a ride. That's okay. So I, I'll make one more point and then I definitely, then we'll, we'll get around to the album because, but it, it ties into that because your album, the new album from the Neverlutionaries is really varied in styles of music and sounds and you can hear a lot of different influences in in the music and in your singing and all kinds of stuff and you mentioned being a fan of tool and i wanted to ask your opinion on this because i'm still torn on their last album i was listening i i I haven't even bought it yet but i've listened to it a few times and i'm having a hard time wanting to buy it because to me, it, it kind of sounds like a lot of the previous two albums, 10,000 Days and, and Lateralis. The, you know, the, the, the triplets, the bass triplets, and then it just, it sounds, to me, it sounds like the only thing that changed is maybe Danny Carey's drum kit. And not even his drumming, just the kit he's playing on sounds, it sounds, sounds a little different. What did you think of the album? Because you did mention being a Tool fan. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. I loved everything from the order of the songs. And there's a song called Tempest. Yes. Which is one of my favorite tool, tool songs ever. And But that's another argument for they know their lane. Yeah. If they would have started playing like something that sounded like a what's that guy like the cowboy the 
the guy, the cowboy guy that sings a song with the, um, God, I can't think of the name. He's like the African American cowboy fella with oh, the hat. Yeah. Oh, oh God, I know. When, I, I can't remember his name. You, you start going there and stuff like that. It's like, but yeah. th- but this but this record, that's who they are. That's their identity. And I think the thing for them is to not really ex- everything is a is based on that first record and their variances and twists and turns. But the core that goes through it started with that first record. Yeah. And I think it's kind of cool that they have their, because of, luckily enough, when you have a Danny Carey and, you know, and he's the star of the band, as far as I'm concerned, you can't really go wrong. And I think the songs translate very well. Okay. And for me, I was kind of like, oh, I hope it's good because there's nothing worse than having a band that you love and have loved for years and them giving you a crappy record or not a crappy record, but a record you're not feeling at the time. Yeah, yeah. That, that, but that's part of it. But I think, you know, just saying like if they would have put out a reggae record, you know, <laughs> people would have more flipped out. But I yeah. think him for the sounds, and I'm a big fan of production, Mm-hmm. and bass sounds and guitar sounds and drum sounds. And especially for me, the drum sound is where it starts because oh. that foundation, if they're not recorded and his drums are always so crisp and clear and full, it's like he's in the room playing with you. And I thought it was an amazing, amazing record. But like I said, it, it really depends on expectations that are realistic. Yeah. Are you going to look for a band that's defined their sound like this for years to shift? That's why I, at, at this point of getting things really rolling with this band, I wanted to have a precedent of having varied sounds so I would never be painted into a corner. And so that I would have, it's more likely that you know if an artist is going to have a few different styles within their thing, that's a part of their sound. They might switch up and change Yeah, compared to like, okay, you stay in lane Z over here and that's your lane. You stay the hell there. Yeah. We're going to build the walls really tall so you can never get out of the lane. Exactly. Exactly. That. And that's, uh, I, I've noticed that, that that really wasn't the case back in let's say like the 80s. You, know, you notice artists were a lot more open to experimenting and doing different styles of, of music, different on their album you know you'd have like an album of 10 tracks and you know you'd, you'd have a bunch of different styles within those 10 now 10 tracks and i noticed that you don't see that as much anymore and your album is is kind of a refreshing change from that oh thank you so thank you so much and that i'm glad you got that mark because that was that was one of the things i set out and i had as a goal is i wanted people to appreciate the diversity but i also had to make the songs that were the more different kinds of songs like the unconditionally the Ellis streets. Yeah. The Ariana's, you know, I wanted to make it, they still had to have a power to them because I wouldn't want to be one of these acts that, you know, it's like, Oh man, he's doing the revolutionaries unplugged right. because some songs don't translate very well. No, especially sure. with something that's kind of like down the like that, the down Metallica down sort of yeah 
yeah. on the guitar that on the acoustic it sounds like a mess it sounds yeah. like a child beating on an instrument or something <laughs> that's you true. know so you have to be you know it's it's a it's a tricky thing but i always want to make sure that that diversity is a part of my music because it's a part of my life you know i like every day is not going to be old town road every day is not going to be fight fire with fire every day is not going to be light my fire you know every day is not going to be who got the fire you know it it depends on the day so there's certain songs like i was actually having a conversation with my stepmom and she i was like yeah you know check it out i'm like i know it's kind of you know hard and rock and she's like no you should put a little you know little someone there for everybody and i was like that's really cool that she got that yeah because i remember when i got back from finishing the record um i dropped by to visit them when i got back into north carolina and i played the song for her and my pop and they both liked it and you know it wasn't that friendly oh isn't that special (laughs) (laughs) which really means you're crazy or it sucks. Yep. But uh, I didn't <laughs> I get it. I got an actual kind of a, you know, and that's kind of, at the end of the day, you always want that approval, you know? Yep. Oh, yeah. You know, even though you can be a grown-ass man, but <laughs> something about them going, I don't know, it sucks. Yeah. You know, like, I'm, I'm sure the songs that are in, like, drop tuning with weird backwards solos <laughs> and, you know, a bunch of, mess a boogie mess screaming in the background might not be to the, the the liking but i want something on there you know someone might be able to find there there's some funky on there yeah there's laid back stuff there's some jazzy kind of avant-garde stuff oh gosh yeah i want to i want to find out a little bit about the creation of this this whole and I, i'm going to call it a project i'm not sure if, if it how you're looking at it but how did you come up with the name i was having a conversation with a friend of mine uh he actually played on the record as well johnny Axtell. and i don't know if he came up with the name or i came up with the name but i knew i was talking with him and i was like Ooh, that sounds interesting because i wanted to I've always kind of liked the kind of, I don't know, like my first band I was in that did something decent was called Peasants of the Apocalypse. I liked, I've heard a couple of tracks and I liked that. Mindgasm was great. So the Nevolutionaries is pretty much like the next level, you know? So it's essentially, um, I did most of the guitars, except for a couple songs Johnny was on and the song Kenny was on. Oh, and I had okay. a buddy of mine, Ryan Hickey playing on Ariana, but, and Chris McGrew played drums on a bunch of it. And then, uh, Nick, 
Baglio rounded it out and Knicks played with everybody from geez, uh, Vernon Reed. And, oh, I love Vernon. Uh, what's that guy's name? Nile Rogers. Oh, he's like wow. This, he's like this phenom drummer that's been playing since I think his dad's a drummer and he's been playing since he was like a kid. Wow. And and he's just <laughs> it, <it's, laughs> some people you watch him play, it's like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Other people, they have a gift, you know, like I've figured out my place by happenstance and being clever. Yeah. <laughs> but his place was like, someone's like, here you are. <laughs> Take that. Yeah. <laughs> You've been but, touched. You know, so, so my thing is in the, in the future is, uh, to have a couple guest stars on each record, you know, people that can bring a little bit of energy, something different. Oh, cool. To kind of show a variance in it. So it's not just all me, but at the same point, I have a vision and I know exactly what I want. Yeah. And it's a lot easier for me to, especially with, you know, the way things are now with lockdowns, kind of do all the stuff myself. And that way I know it'll be done to my liking. <laughs> hey, well, you know, that makes <laughs> you know, sense. Instead of like, okay. <laughs> but it's interesting I, I i had to learn the hard way when i was in uh one of my previous bands yeah uh, one of the members got in some legal trouble and we couldn't tour and do anything and it was just like ah. then the guitar player got in some trouble oh no ah. so i figured out i learned how to program drums and i learned how to play guitar out of necessity. So out of necessity. And, you know, there are guys out there that I, I would never sit there and try to even compare myself to any kind of virtuoso. But I have my thing, you know, like I, like I said, I, I see the whole picture in my head and my challenge is to, you know, like when I view the marble, I already see the statue per se. Right, right. So my challenge is to get the statue out and then do something else cool at the bottom and bling him out <laughs> <laughs> to make it really cool. So, yeah. Yeah. So was, when you went in to record all these and, and this was recorded before the pandemic hit, was it? Uh, three quarters of it were about 70% of it was done before the pandemic hit. Literally when I flew back to the East coast, I was the only one in the airport. One of the few people wearing masks. Oh, Wow. But I, I figured it out. Yeah. I figured yeah. it out because even when I was doing, you know, the record for a couple of weeks, I was feeling squirrely as hell. And my yeah. my hair was bad. I couldn't really get a deep breath. And then oh. I felt like I had pins in my chest. And it sounds like I may have had the virus when I was doing it. That's, you know, it's possible. You know, like I was literally having problems breathing and all this stuff. But luckily... I got over it. And then when I went to Nam, everyone was talking about having this Nam Thrax. Oh God. And there's all these people from all over the world in this small space. And I wondered that was like a super it was probably like the first super spreader event that they won't even say that really happened. <laughs> wow, I didn't think that. <laughs> think think about it though. Yeah. If you think about when it started and where it where it started from. And when people were getting sick, a lot of people that got it at first thought they were just having a flu. Yeah. 
That's they, would, they would. Why go get tested for it when you don't know that's what you need to be tested for? Yeah, exactly. And then when I a few months after that, when I went and got like an antibody test, of course at that point it was over six months since I thought I might have been sick, and so the antibodies were long gone. Yeah. So it's a it's been tricky, but all that to say, so seventy percent of it was recorded there. Okay. And then I did uh, the other, the rest of it. I kind of had to finish it, you know, on the East Coast. Okay. And then kind of get the tracks and get some tracks from Nick and then re-record my parts over the parts that he did and send it to Jameson to mix. And we had this awesome process. And, uh, you know, but it worked out. And it was really, I think the extra songs kind of perfectly rounded it out because I was like, mm, it was supposed to be an EP at first. Oh, wow. Yes, they're cool. And I'm kind of hard on myself and listening to things. I was like, well, maybe that's not good enough. And so a couple things that I thought wouldn't necessarily had made the record after I listened to them with fresh ears a month later, I loved the song. But I think my ears were fatigued. And when you're mixing, you're listening to it. Like literally, sometimes I listen to a song like 50 times. Wow. And I'll just... Again, and because I know what I'm looking for. And then when I get to the point where I start getting the goosebumps when the lead kicks in, I was like, oh, there it is. Yeah. And then I stopped. And I stopped. It's like you have to know when to, like, it's done. And hold back. And it's such a, a delicate, a delicate line because you can overproduce the shit out of something. Yeah. And you could take the soul out of it. Or yeah. you could underproduce it and it can sound too crappy. And yeah. then you're stuck with it. So you gotta you gotta hit that goosebump factor. It's all about the the, the GBs, not yeah. the BGs. <laughs> the GBs. <laughs> Speaking of that, you've got some inc- some incredibly lush tracks on on the album. Like like the first single, Ariana. It's gorgeous. The only the only issue that I've found with it is that it's only three minutes long. By the end of it, I'm still wanting to hear more of it. But then the song's over, and I'm like, oh, all right, now I just got to go back and hear it again. So you're making me want more. That was the intention. <laughs> because if, if I I had a couple of versions of that in the original demo where it was about a minute and 15 seconds long or something. Oh, okay. I mean, Rain Boy. But uh, I took the part out because it seemed like I was trying to be epic instead of it naturally being epic. Okay. We're just like, oh, wow, these, it just turned out that the way this thing built up and compared to like, let me tack that on here and tack that on the back end here. And now it's a bunch of tacked on shit. Now you're, take it. Yeah. It just seemed, I, and I wanted it to kind of be like, and for people to say, you know what? And then go through the album and go, you know what? There's not another one that sounds like that, but that sounded cool. And that sounded cool. And then the next time we put the next record out, 
people's curiosity will be piqued because they know they're getting something that's, and like I said, there's stuff that, you know, I'm not trying to be the best and the greatest. It's not some pissing contest. It's no ego. I just want to put out great art that comes from a pure place, you know, because I've seen people put out stuff from their butts that did not come from a pure place. It came from a bad, stinky place. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the songs that did not come from that, and it's, you had mentioned listening to the album and then thinking, I want to go back and listen to that. And, and Precious Eyes is one of those tracks for me. I love that song. It's gorgeous, and it's it's one of the tracks. And and it, you know, again, you can tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong here. But lyrically, it's a it's a beautiful album. But there seems to be like a lot of pain and, and loss throughout this album lyrically. Am I am I picking that up right, or is, am, am I all full of crap, Mister Shea? You're a one smart cookie. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's even on that one. That was written about. I had a friend of mine who was this beautiful girl who had been through some, just some really, had some tough breaks in life. And she actually, uh, the day after Trump took office, she took her life. Oh, wow. And there's some of that in there. The earthbound angel, why'd you go? Yeah. Earthbound angel, was it too cold? You know, and it's like, she seemed too sweet to be like she wasn't like you meet some people and they're like like neanderthal type people they can make they can make it anywhere like cockroaches you know right. you can drop a house on them they'll come like Ooh, ouch scratch back <laughs> but she was one of these people that was just delicate and pure just wanted people to like her and just didn't get the love back from life that she thought she was going to get. Oh, and I wanted to commemorate that, but honor her, but be honest about it. Right. So the mood in the song is slightly spooky because I love the minor stuff. Yeah. But it, it pulls you in, you know, it's like a, a psychedelic Aesop's fables. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, sit up here, kids. Let me tell you this crazy ass story about this girl I know. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad I'm glad you like that one because that that's something that's one that uh, was one of the last ones finished. Oh wow, it's one of my favorites on the album as a whole. Yeah. I love that song. Yeah, and, and Nick just did such a fantastic job with the the beat because I wanted something that was kind of like something kind of drunkenly creeping along. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded like James Brown, like if he had like Jägermeister and some absinthe <laughs> and he was at the club and they were like, they slowed the music down. He was like, how you there? Get up on this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it was, it, 
was just something a little funky like that. But but I I like the that was definitely that was definitely fun. That's I, something that most of that was like one take for me. Wow. Which, which a lot of the stuff is like L Street was one take on the vocal for that. Really? I, I, I literally I was um, walking. Uh, the st- high street is in the Tenderloin, okay. in San Francisco. San Francisco, yeah. Which is which is a rough kind of neighborhood. I don't know why they call it the Tenderloin. They should call it the Rum Road. <laughs> yeah. But I was walking from um, uh, from where I was staying down to the hotel. I mean, down to the studio. And on the way, I saw this beautiful girl. She was just beautiful, but she was homeless. Had wow. tracks on her arms, laying on the street, but she looked beautiful like she still had a part of her humanity left and hadn't gone completely to the dark side yeah and so that song was pretty much like what was her life like before because every person you see like that that's somebody's mother someone's brother someone's father someone's baby yeah someone held that person in her arms and looked at them with all the hope and the joy in the world and wishing them the best life they could have and whether it's mental illness, lack of medication, uh, hiccups in the health system, or just people that have drug issues. It's, I mean, it, it's hard. Everyone has been through their thing. You know, oh, for sure. I, I know, you know, I've had my bouts. I used to party like a, you know, a, a damn donkey <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, but after a while, especially seeing a lot of, you know, I put my brakes on a bit earlier than a lot of my friends did. And, you know, I've lost a lot of people, you know, so even in this record, you know, it's, it's honest, you know, I I wish the next one could be called butterflies and sunshine, (laughs) you know? And if I experience butterflies and sunshine, then that's what I'll write about. Right. But I have to kind of come from an honest place because even you were able to understand the mood of that song and the intention of that song. So that to me is success. Some people would think success is selling, you know, it'd be great to sell, you know, 10 million records, whatever, you know? Yeah. I just want people to dig what I'm saying and know that, you know, that I'm a voice should be, that should be listened to, that I have something interesting to say. Well, you do. And, and one of the songs that really, exemplifies that to me anyway is hopped up on crazy First of all, that's a great title, but I love the the lyrics and the message to while you're still living, everything is possible. That, yeah. that to me is, it's so simple, but it, it's, it's so perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it comes down to like that, that song was about being in weird situations. I make things kind of cryptic is not to be able to make connections to keep the innocent as innocent, but it was just stuff that I've been through and seen people going through. And I kind of put it all together. And, you know, the whole thing of that song is like, you know, 
there's always hope while you're here, while you're still living, anything is possible. You know, I agree. And that's true. Yeah. You know, you can hold, you know, you can hold yourself in a point of darkness and depression to the point where it becomes your essence and who you are and takes over the life you were supposed to be, or you can process it, get through with it and move on and try to make the best of it. And that's some hard, especially now, man, it's some hard stuff, man. Like yeah. when this first started, Mark, I sat there, you know, when the pandemic first began and just, I looked at CNN for like 18 hours a day. Wow. Because I was so afraid because of relatives that had pre-existing conditions. Yep. Not being able to visit my family who I'm close with as much as I want to. Having a fear of, well, I know I could go, but if I got my family sick and something happened to them, that would be, I would have a really curious life from that point on. Yeah. And I, as much as my heart hurt not to go and visit them, I wasn't going to be one of these, you know, knuckleheads like, oh, screw wearing a mask, man. I'm not having you take my rights away. It's like, all right, survival the fittest. If you don't want to wear a mask and you want to go out and hang out with your buddies, then that's Darwinism doing its thing. It, it's it's tricky, but luckily I was able to get through it and I literally didn't write a note from that moment until about May. Oh wow. Last May. And then all of a sudden I had one of those effort moments, like time to get off the pot or do what you need to do. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this is gonna be it. I might as well really go deep on this one and put songs out that aren't the easiest ones to digest possibly. Right. But were the realest. Because I want this to be something that people listen to and they're not like, eh. They're like, you know what? I get where he's going. Yeah. And I appreciate when, you know, people like yourself who I know you hear so much stuff. <laughs> I can imagine. But the fact that you wanted to listen to things over again and things struck you and that doesn't happen with every recording you get no that's I, know that. I get records that you know i've had that, of bands that i loved and they're just that you know when i first got into this band their lives were one way and the art dictated this and later on it di dictates something else you yeah. know so i just wanted to keep it real it's you're incredibly adept at mixing genres and I, that's what i love about this album it's definitely not boring. You know, you've got so many different sounds and, and, and atmospheres going on ambiances and, and, and it's, it keeps you engaged in the album the entire time, which is unusual nowadays. So it's, it's that changing and, and mixing of genres for me is really appreciated. I really enjoyed it. Hopefully, like I, like I mentioned earlier, there are people that are more tech technically, advanced and all this stuff but my thing is that my voice is kind of the continuity that goes throughout the whole thing that ties it all together yeah and the textures just kind of shift and in the future you know like i, I have a bunch of crazy electronic stuff oh wow it's really far out with them definitely going to get on the next one but i kind of want to ease people into it <laughs> you know it's like can you imagine Frank Zappa's first regular. Like, hey, check this out. They're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And I was like, here you go. Here's this one. Okay, now here's a little bit of a big spoon. Yeah. All right, here's the spork. Yeah. <laughs> so, so with things possibly opening up in the future, relative near future, are you putting uh, plans together to hopefully tour behind this album? Yes, indeed. Oh, good. I have. Oh, I my my goal is to you know even before the record came out, I was supposed to fly back home visit my folks, fly back out to San Francisco, then fly to Paris. Wow! To start doing shows over there, I wanted to play over there, and then come back to the states. So that's still kind of what the plan is. Okay. So I have a couple of a. Uh, Nothing's been signed and dotted yet, but a couple of notable cats that'll be with me, and I'll I'll, I'll keep you posted. Oh, nice, nice. But but uh, Kenny also might be there for a couple shows. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, man. And, uh, it's 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 going to be. I really want to entertain people because people deserve it, and that's what the cosmos put me here for. That's why I was made. Well, so I want to do my do. I hope you make it down to the D.C. area because I definitely want to catch a live show of, of this music because the studio version sounds amazing. I can't wait to see it live and hear it live. Yeah. And and the way I record is, have you ever listened to one of these records and you hear all these sounds and things that you like on a record and little bells and whistles and then when you go see the band live, and it's about to be on and you're like, oh, where's that part? That's different. Oh, Something that's missing. Opposite. I'd rather just be real solid with the record and then for the live show, just buff it up a little bit, make it shinier. Oh, nice. You know, I really want to entertain people. You know, like when people, you know, go to a show, it's like, you know, instead of being like, man, you know, I want to be like, you know what? That was like going to a movie or going to a theatrical production. <laughs> I wanted to be you know, just people deserve it. Yeah. You know, people, people deserve it. Everyone's been through so much stuff. People have been losing folks and getting sick and everybody's been scared as shit for a year. Cooped and, up. Yep. And so now's the time for me to do what I was put here to do. You know, I, I want to, my, my whole thing is hopefully whenever touring can begin, I want to be all fully vaccinated and, you know, a couple of the guys I'm going to be jamming with are already getting vaccinated. We're already in that process, and, nice. you know, so we can kind of get things going. Yeah. And hope within the next month and a half or so, I'll head back out to San Francisco. It's just so super populated there. Just being somewhere less populated just mentally makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah. Like going into a store and there's like 90 people there compared to like 10. Yeah. <laughs> so... That's the goal is to kind of take this time to, you know, sharpen up the licks. And I've been, you know, rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing. So before I bring the fellas in, I have to be at the best level possible. Yeah. Because I feel like it's an honorable duty. I have to bring my, I have to do my best. You know, Pop told me that when I was a kid, he's like, whatever you do, just be your best. Yeah. Try your hardest. And at the end of the day, you can't be satisfied and you can, you know, rest knowing that you put all you had into it. That's awesome. You know? 
Well, where can people pick up the album? How can they find it and follow you on social media to get all the information about hopefully upcoming tours? Yes, you can find me on Instagram under the Nevolutionaries. The album is, uh, you can get it. People can pick it up at their, on iTunes or whatever online music retailer you get your music from. It's on Spotify. Just do a, do a search for it on, on Instagram. It's the Nevolutionaries. On Twitter, it's at the Nevolutionary One. And check out our Facebook page. Like the pages. Let me know how you're feeling about the music. It's coming from a good place. And my goal is to rock you and you and you and you and you. Awesome. That's fantastic, man. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it, man. I've, I've kept you for quite a while here. Thank you so no much, man. No problem at No problem at all. Floating. Aimlessly. In a course passage back in time. In my mind defined. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.